Hello and welcome to Seducing Aliveness. I am Jen Hultzman, one of your hosts, and this is Tamara Yonker. Hello, Tamara, it's Friday. It is, and I, I have to say, it's been it's been a rich week, and it's been a full week, and I'm kind of glad it's Friday. I'm sort of ready for a little break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little weekend like a break. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the weekend timed itself just right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure did. Thanks, weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've broken up with a lot this week, and based on listener comments and feedback, I think some people are still breaking up on Tuesday and it's Friday and they're not quite caught up. Good news. You've got two days to get through the rest of the week that's happened. (laughs) That's fun. Yeah. I would say this week has really been a, what? So we've, there's been quite a few, what the fucks and um, now what? And so before we get into breaking up with being right, I am glad that Tamara got me queued up and ready. And let me just give you a heads up that next week we are going to be addressing letting go, breaking up with or releasing, letting go of the you of your past. So if all of you have been asking, well, if I do that, I don't know who the hell to be. Good news. We've got a week for you. <laughs> so we are going to be breaking up with the definition of who you believe you be, the comparison of who you were and who you are now, the conclusions that you thought you should live into, the expectations of you, and the habit of being you. So mm-hmm. that's where we're headed next week. So get through this week so you can join us next week. It'll be super worth it, I promise. <laughs> hmm. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny great. that... that- you, it just introducing me, or just introducing that, like giving us that little teaser, made me want to go right into it right now. And I'm like, nope, that's not today's topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today we really need to talk about this being right. You know, mm. you're right, you're right. You know, you're right. You're right, you're right. I know I'm right. I know you're wrong. I know uh, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. Then. Because really, that's crazy making. That thinking is crazy making. It is. Mm. It really is. And I, you know, <clears throat> I just would love to invite people, just as we start off the show, to get curious. What is so vital? I mean, some people uh, will cling to this as if it's life or death. Mm-hmm. Some people will cling to this be, this need to be right as if it's life or death. What makes it so mm-hmm. vital that you be right? Just in that place mm-hmm. of inquiry, right? Like, just get curious. What is, there's such an importance and significance on that for some people. What is that? What is that? Mm-hmm. What have you decided would happen if you weren't right? What have right. you decided it would mean about you if you weren't right? What do you have to believe about yourself to always prove that you're right? Just some fun questions Uh that were kind of showing up, just floating around in my atmosphere before we went live on the show. So I thought I'd just kind of put those out there for people Uh to reflect upon because I I see, uh, I mean, everybody's different, right? I see different reasons for, um, but, but even just in saying that, it's, 
bound by a reason. Mm-hmm. We are bound by a reason when there's a need to be right, when there's a need to be anything, when there's a need to prove that we are anything, we're bound by a reason. Well, the reason is blah, 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 blah. What's re- what is reason backed up by? Judgment. Right. So mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of putting that out there because I know that a, a lot of people, and this, this may or may not be you, like, again, there's there's not just one reason for people's need to be right or prove that they're right. But a lot of times it's that I fundamentally talked, I think we introduced this yesterday, there's like a fundamental, and you may not, even be aware of this in your cogn- like cognitively aware of this, but there's some sort of fundamental belief that at the core of who I am, I'm wrong. And I, mm-hmm. I'm so unwilling to feel that wrongness, whatever that might be. There's, a, there's such a resistance into feeling the wrongness of me that I will use every bit of energy that I have exhausting myself to prove that I'm not the wrongness I believe myself to be. In fact, I'm actually right. That's one that I see pretty common. And it holds an enormous amount of tension in our bodies. And it actually, when you're refusing something, when you're in resistance to something like that, it actually keeps your body in fight or flight like 24-7. Yeah. And you may never feel like you're actually relaxed. Because that need to prove I'm right and that that underlying resistance to ever looking at, examining, feeling where somebody, you know, where we've defined ourselves as wrong, it can be quite debilitating physically. Mm -hmm. Just putting that piece out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. And, And really, you know, there's so much to this and, and I just want to invite everybody, you know, breathe into this. Really check in with your body yeah. because what happens in most cases is that in order for the judgment to be concluded, for the right or wrongness to be defined or decided, you must go to that place in your mind where all of the categorizing and all of the labels reside. And so people, a lot of times, they leave their body, go up into their intellect. They're totally glazed over in the face. They don't even know where they are because they are up in, it's almost, if you even know what this is, I'm aging myself here. It's like you're up in the card catalog of your brain searching for all of the reference points of proof of you being right or wrong, or especially for this show, you being right. And so you have left the actual presence of the moment. And so as yeah. we talk about this, I really invite you to stay in your body. You know, keep if you got to move, because that's my deal. You know, I, I keep moving so that I'm sure I'm in my body and I check my breath and I be sure that I do deep belly breathing and all of these different ways, whatever your, your trick is to really engage your, that embodiment to stay present in this moment. Because if you really are committed to being right, you will do whatever it takes to avoid anything that might deliver the proof of wrong that you're wrong. Yeah. And so if you had that I'm wrong, I'm fundamentally fucked, I'm broken, I'm flawed, whatever it is, and so now we're talking about right, then this is where the proof comes up. But there's this other side of it. There's this flip, it, it just like the sneaky bitch side of it where – 
I am super cool. I'm super chill until nobody acknowledges I was right. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't let it be known that I need to be right. But when I am, you better acknowledge it. And, and so there's this almost like this passive way that you are always seeking to prove you're right so that when it matters, it's validated externally. And yep. that is a facade. That requires a facade to be present. You know, it's like somebody who take, you know, oh, I gave this great idea, and then somebody takes it and creates something out of it, and you want credit for what they created because you had the idea. They took that idea, maybe a Facebook post or a conversation over lunch or whatever it is. So now somehow you think that should give you credit for it because it originated with you. It's this external validation again. We talked about this all the time. We don't mm-hmm. fight to be right unless we are seeking external validation. So why yeah. is your validation of who you be and your value in the world external? What happened? When did you take that from inside of you and put it outside? That's the curiosity. Like, really, what would it take for that to be your job inside you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine, I mean, what would it mean to you and your life if you didn't make anybody else's point of view about you uh, more relevant than your own, you know, knowing? So that, that's and that's even, even that's a tricky one because if you've internalized someone else's point of view, I don't, I don't know that anyone shows up on the planet with this fundamental, you know, belief that they're wrong. It it seems to occur when you look at yourself relative to something else in the world, like through comparison or through um, buying out someone else's point of view about you. And if you internalize that, then it's almost like there's no amount of evidence in the world, no matter how many people you get to validate that you're right. No matter how many people, like you, every day, all day long, you can get people to validate you. You can, you can be the, in that manipulative situation that I've, I'm going to get everyone to validate how right I am. No matter how much evidence you gather, that actually cannot change what mm-hmm. you've decided is true about you fundamentally. This is the sort of interesting paradox about it. Um. Mm-hmm. So so it's a it's a lifelong uh, commitment then to continue to gather other evidence even though that evidence isn't actually going to change anything until you until you examine, you know, w- w- where did this come from? I don't I don't want to live this way anymore. What what makes me believe I'm so wrong? And and choose to change it. And choose to change it. And then, at which point, the the thing that kind of goes hand in hand with choosing to change that is not allowing anybody else's point of view about you to be greater than what you know to be true about you, no matter what. That's that yep. shifting from um, outsourcing your inner authority to recognizing that 
what other people think about me is not relevant. Because otherwise you're just going to live in that space of like every time somebody says or even hints or even insinuates that you may not be good enough or less than or inadequate or, uh, you know, whatever that looks like, whatever that wrongness looks like, then you're just right back into the um, the fight mm-hmm. to prove, in fact, you're right and not wrong. This is this is one of the stickiest. This it, it is so interesting because because of that whole piece. Like I can't convince you of that. If you fundamentally believe that you're wrong, there's nothing I can say or do to convince you of that because it's inside job. It's an inside job. Now, I might be able to give you bunches of approval and, um, you know, say good job, give you accolades, pat you on the back, pat you on the head. I might be able to give you a little fix for a while, five minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, an afternoon, whatever, that makes you feel good because it's like, oh, I'm going to take all of that and feel better for a while. But it doesn't actually change anything. It's just like a Band-Aid. So this one is so tricky because it's, in fact, an inside job. No matter how much evidence um, you gather, it's not going to change the fundamental belief that the cornerstone and foundation of your entire, you know, belief about yourself. So right. somewhere there just has to be a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give up the wrongness of me. I'm breaking up with wrong. I'm breaking up with the need to be Right. And for me, it was kind of like embracing my humanity. I mean, I don't, that's just a way of describing it, right? It's it's that warts and all, good, bad, and, and ugly. It's like, you know, here I am, who I am, all inclusive, all facets, um, including the shame, including, like, including everything and saying, this is it. Like, I can be okay with all of it. I don't need to hide any of it anymore. Um, it's it's getting off the right and wrong polarity and just saying, this is what is. And that's the difference of really being present and really having direct experience of yourself. Because otherwise you're in your head all day long thinking about how to how to prove that you're right, how to gather evidence. And... There's no, you can't really be present in life if you're thinking, 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 thinking. Your whole experience is muted or or even secondhand because it's happening in your head. You're not having direct experience of what is. And it was in me really saying, embracing my humanity instead of trying to fight everywhere. I didn't want, I thought, you know, embracing my humanity was associated with weakness. And as I've shared before, I didn't want to be perceived as weak because that was how I judged my mother as a victim and blah, blah, blah. All these things kind of went together. And I was like, you know what? At, at some point, it's I made the choice to include all of it. All of it. Because mm-hmm. life is messy. Living is <laughs> messy. Being all of you is messy. It's not perfect. It's not, I mean... It's exhausting to constantly try and categorize ourselves into right and wrong and then have to, like, uphold that all the time. It's exhausting. Mm. It is. 
And it, I love what you said about patience. It takes us out of the present moment because uh-huh. if you are proving how right you are about something, it's already taken place. If you're pre, you know, like rehearsing conversations or revisiting past conversations, you're not in this moment to enjoy it. You're using this moment you have to either pasteurize or futurize what's going on. Like you yeah. are, you're cooking it. You're, you're stew. You're in the stew of seeking the right and all of the facets of being right and all that stuff. And it takes you out of this moment. And so it stops your, it starts, stops the progress. Like you could be creating something new, but instead what's most important to you in this moment is being right. So if what we say quite often is what do you spend the most time on? What do you give the most attention to? That's your priority in life. So if you think that your priority is maybe your family or your career or whatever it is, but you realize that you're not actually focused on your career and, you know, furthering your career or loving your family or spending time with them, because when you're in those things, you're actually creating whatever it is that's going to validate how right you are, that's an awareness of what the true priority of your life is. The priority of my life is to be right. And if you can acknowledge that that's what you spend, your time, your energy, everything you're scheming, like all the plans you're making, that they revolve about being right, then you can get a real, I mean, that's kind of part of it. You want to change your life. You've got to know where you actually are. Like you can't be an asshole and pretend you're Mother Teresa and think you're going to go from Mother Teresa to where you want to be. You've got to get real about being the asshole first before you can go to where you want to be. There's yeah. a reality here to check in. And if you've got a priority about being right, you got that's the breakup that's wanting to happen. So being in denial about it, instead what I would really say is what would it take for you to really just acknowledge, like no bullshit, and you don't have to go broadcast it on Facebook and, you know, like you don't have to go confess your sins to a preacher. None of that shit is required. But real, get real with yourself. I am pretty damn well obsessed with being right. I think I might be a right narcissist. I think I actually might be obsessed or addicted to or have a habitual tick about being right. And start there because what I found when I was in denial about a lot of my own personal shit and pretended like it didn't stink was that when I claimed it and said, you know what, this is the truth, this is actually where I'm at, it felt like relief because I wasn't lying to myself. I was still playing the facade with the world, but with myself, I actually got to relax into the truth of how I was living my life. And that relaxing into release the grip of that situation that I was in denial of so that I could break up with it. Mm. So that I could say, wow, hey, you know what, dear John, right. <laughs> I know you've served me well. You've been my best buddy. You've been the best obsession I could have. We have spent <laughs> nights together Every minute in the car, all of my self-dialogue has been with you. You have been my best lover and friend. 
I really have enjoyed our time, and it's time that we go our separate ways. Thank you for your service. Bye-bye. Like, you yeah. can't write that letter if you don't admit that you're having an affair with being right. But it's the vulnerability piece. Yep, there we are. It's adding the vulnerability piece. It's, you know, I mean, <laughs> I sound like a broken record. If you really want to create change, change requires vulnerability. I haven't actually seen anyone able, including myself, to change anything without including an aspect of vulnerability in it. Because it's what you were just saying. Getting, I, I, I don't like the term brutally honest, so I say kindly honest. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think honesty is much more kind. Like, I can delude myself forever. I think that's brutal. Deluding myself is brutal, mm-hmm. but when I actually choose to, to start getting uh, honest with myself, that's that's where kindness shows up, and that's where, um, with just a little bit of vulnerability, I can start to see my way to a different choice and a different experience. Um, and and I and I actually, this this whole, this rightness one, the people who are most stuck in that and most uh, invested and perhaps even addicted to proving their rightness are the people that I've seen, just, you know, then this is not like an absolute across the board, are the people that I've seen who are the most unwilling to be vulnerable. They use their rightness as a shield as if that rightness will never, uh, it's kind of like the... Um, <laughs> They think it's some sort of cloak of invisibility. Like, if I can prove to you how right I am, you'll never see how wrong I feel I am. <laughs> and so, Say it it's, again. It's, that's good. <laughs> if I can prove to you how right I am, you'll never see how wrong I feel I am. Mm-hmm. And um, so, these are often the people who are refusing vulnerability. Vulnerability is terrifying to them. They have to uphold this. And I, I mean, back in the day, when I was talking about myself, sharing with myself about how um, a boyfriend, he was like, you know, you really are kind of an ice queen. And I was like, yep. Like, I was so proud of that. That was mm-hmm. that was essentially how I was living. I adopted and mimicked a lot of my father's, um, you know, need to be right for a long time. Instead of admitting my humanity, instead of admitting where... You know, I wasn't I wasn't perfect. I didn't know the answers. I didn't I I was, you know, it it's that unwillingness to make mistakes and be messy. If we are uh defending mm-hmm. against our vulnerability, then the need to be right is a great cloak. Yep. Proving that we're right. And the question that I ask in all of this again, getting curious, getting getting bringing inquiry into this, the power of inquiry at what cost is being right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it costing you? I know what it costs me. I know what I started to realize in my life. What is it costing you? For me, it was costing me connection. My my dad, he's just somebody who's really easy to use as a um, an illustration here. He's so invested in being right, he will alienate himself from from his own family, his best friend. He he uh there was uh my mom likes to host uh you know dinner parties or whatever, have friends over, she's very social. And so she there was one evening where um my dad's one of his best friends was over and they got in some argument about something and my dad needed to be right. 
and he almost punched his like he was getting to the to he was get, he was getting so heated where there was energy of violence started showing up and my mom started getting concerned that she was going to haul off and hit him and his friend basically was like look i don't need this yeah you know it's it creates it creates such separation they didn't speak for years that was it mhm his my dad's need and investment in being right cost them the friendship. I, they might be friendly again now, but I don't know that it'll ever be like it was. I don't know. I, you know, that's his business, not mine. Um, mm. But same thing with his family, right? Like he, his need to be right. I've, I've had that experience with him. He will isolate himself away from his family because we don't align and agree with his rightness. Mm. That's more important to him than than having connection with his family. That's his choice. I don't fault him for that. I don't make him wrong for that. But I see the cost. And I've known the cost in my own life. It's been years ago. It's been decades because I gave that up a long time ago. But what's it costing you to be right? What is it costing you? And your health. I, I, that's another one I can't ignore. <clears throat> I, see it, I see it really costing people their health. Yes. Yep. That's a big one. And, you know, as I listen to that and I feel into what you're talking about, you know, the energy of needing to be right, the energy of costing a friendship, costing family connection, costing there being a cost so significant that you will someday not even know what you're fighting about or if you hold on to it and cling to whatever it is you believe you're right about, but that's it, you know. And I, I feel into the energy of that, and it feels so terrifying, terrifying, that I might be wrong. I, I remember I was in a, you know, dynamic where I was witnessing somebody who had always had perfectly delightful job reviews. Like, I don't know, it was like 25 years of perfect job reviews, and one, one boss, retired and went to a different position and the new boss came in and the new boss had a completely different point of view about how the office should be run, um, how, what it would look like, who would do what, I mean, who this, it was a drastic change. And when the new, the next opportunity for a review came in, it was, I don't know, it was like in the 80 percentile or something like in grade reference it'd be like, getting straight A's and suddenly you've got a B or a B plus. It was not horrible, but what I witnessed was a complete, like, breakdown of self-worth. Like, there was no conversation. There was no nothing. There was just, this is so wrong. I am so right, and I am so good at what I do. It revealed all of the manipulation. It revealed all the game playing. It revealed all the insecurity. And no shit, less than six months later, that person had walked away from a very long, lucrative career because they could not stand that somebody did not agree with them that they were perfect. Mm -hmm. They were that committed to being right. Mm -hmm. And to witness that... From a place of real, I mean, quite honestly, I was concerned. I was really concerned. 
because it had been cloaked by self-confidence for so long that I didn't realize how one bad comment, one bad review, one, one person's opinion not agreeing with how fabulous they are could destroy a person's entire self-esteem and send them into a deep depression, completely shut down from the world. I thought, I did. I thought to myself, my God, this has been holding on so tight internally for so long Mm -hmm. for one thing to shatter an entire person's view of the world. And I, you know, a lot of times in Hollywood and, you know, all this stuff, they'll say, don't read the critics' comments. There are critics out there. Don't do it. You know, some people get really obsessed with it and they go on Twitter and they fight with their, their critics and, you know, I, there's all kinds of shows out there about it where you can watch it and see it. So it's external, so it, maybe you won't take it so personally. But the truth is, if everything you're doing requires that everybody agree with you, then you're not doing it for the delight of doing it. You're not doing it for the love of doing it, for the sheer sake of just experiencing that in your world. You're doing it to create positive feedback. Mhm. Yeah. And that to me is worth getting curious about. Like what would happen if and and I've had people say this when I do the visibility groups and such. What what happens if you get a bad email or somebody hates your show? I'm like, well, well what? What do you mean? What do I do? There's nothing to do. You mean you don't respond? I'm like, well, I thank them for their feedback. <laughs> like I don't yeah. it really doesn't affect me that way. And people quite often don't recognize how attached they are to that, how personally they take that. Mm-hmm. So if you take something like that personally, be aware that what it is you're doing, you've got a big attachment that you're keeping everybody happy so they'll have that good review of you. Is that authentic? Is that true? If you're, always, if you're living your life, you don't rock a boat ever. Are you really enjoying your life? Something to think about. Mm, yeah. And 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 you know, there's these are kind of extreme examples, and we could probably come up with lots more of them. Um, and there's there's other ways that people will use right. Like I I know there's you can use right being right as a, a form of control. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about all the times when a parent will say, this is what I want you to do. And if you don't do it, you know, you're, you're disinherited from the will or you're, yep. uh, you know, you can't live here anymore or you can't, um, you know, like, and, and it's just simply like, you know, if you date that guy, if you take that job, if you don't become a doctor, if you, um, you know, stuff like that, where it's like, I've decided what's right for you is uh, that you become a doctor. And if you don't do it, then you're disinherited from the will. Or I've decided what's right for you is to, um, you know, date within your religion. I know. I actually know this. I had a girlfriend when I was in high school, and she was Jewish, and her fa- her father required that she date and marry a Jewish man, and he would threaten her about, you know, <laughs> and of course she had a little bit of rebel in her. She's like, oh yeah, watch me. <laughs> but um, 
you know, that, that point of view that I am right. I am right about uh, how you should live, what you should choose, what's the right, what are, what are the, what's the right way to live, what's the right decision, can be, um, again, a way of trying to control somebody um, to getting you to do, and, and, and there can cause, that can cause rupture, obviously, Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. if you demand that, I mean, if you're, if you believe that your point of view is right above all else, and you're like, I, I demand everybody in my life to comply, to align and agree, like this is it, this is what's right, and I'm the head of the household, or I'm the boss, or I'm whatever, you know, this, this can cause rupture. This can, co- I mean, what kind of, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, uh, loyalty or uh, are you getting when you demand somebody align and agree with you this is right is that really loyalty or is that just obedience and I, I don't know like these these are just all the ways another another way that I think is probably more common and because there's subtle ways right not not only more extreme ways but there's also these subtle ways and if you've decided how you do something is the right way. How you fold the towels is the right way. How you fold the sheets, how you um, do the dishes, how you, um, I don't know, mow the lawn. Like how you do something, if you've decided it's the right way, and then somebody comes along and starts folding the towels a different way, and then you're like, well, never mind, just let me do it. Or you try (laughs) and make that person comply to your right way, what does that cause? What does that create? Is that is that a way of refusing somebody's contribution? If they can't do it your way, then just, just get out of here. Never mind, I'll do it myself. And then do you get to complain about how you have to do everything, except you've refused anyone's assistance because they did, couldn't do it your right way? <laughs> There's all so kinds true. of ways that this shows up subtly. And um, that was one of the things I really had to give up years ago when I first moved in with, you know, people, roommates, uh, roommates in college, and then my first boyfriend in my early 20s. And guess what? Everybody does stuff different ways. And if I had decided that any way, any of the way I did it was the right way, what is that costing you? Mm-hmm. You can use right, right as a way of refusing and not even know that you're refusing receiving through the need to be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a coworker who used to complain about her husband sending her flowers at the office because he never ordered her favorites. And so every time, so every week, this guy would have flowers delivered to her on Monday, and she would complain about the color. They were never good enough. Okay. So he came in one day to the office, and and he was waiting for her. She wasn't back from an appointment. And I simply asked, I said, you know, you always send flowers. And I am so amazed that you always do. Like, that's amazing. Wow. He said, well, you know, I got got tired of getting in trouble for never getting her flowers. And I I just kind of laughed, you know, like, yeah, okay. And so he said, but isn't it funny that I'm doing it wrong still? And I was like, what? Wait, what? You know? Because <laughs> I didn't know. We didn't know what had gone on at home if she was telling him how wrong he was. And he laughed. And, and 
I said, wait a minute, you know that you're ordering the wrong flowers. He goes, yeah, I'm doing it on purpose. And I said, why? And he goes, because if she's right about how wrong I am about the flowers, she doesn't bitch about the housekeeping or what I cook for dinner or whatever. He was actually purposely choosing what to be wrong about because it was a distraction from everything she had been harping on him that she was right about in other ways. And I just, I remember I actually like stopped, sat down, looked at him, jaw dropped, like, holy crap, that's freaking brilliant. He said, so yeah, I, I spend probably 30 bucks a week to give her something to bitch about. Hmm. And I was so impressed, first of all, because, you know, he's retired, she's still working, blah, 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 that he was like, I know she needs to bitch about something, so I give her something to bitch about. And there was no, he, he was like, hey, it works for me. It's great. And Talk about allowance. Really meant it. it was allowance. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. she had no idea. Like, it was his little secret. He was just like, just so happy, you know. Like, oh. Every time, <laughs> see, I know what she's going to bitch about for the week. <laughs> I, I wonder, like, ask yourself, if you I don't think there's anyone who can't relate to this. So those of you who are listening, ask yourself, have you ever been around somebody who's always judging you that you can't get it right? Whatever it is, like, you know, folding mm-hmm. the towels, doing the dishes, mowing the lawn, some some task at work. <laughs> Ever been around somebody who's always judging that you can't get it right? And there's this just the constant criticism about it. Oh, it's just not perfect enough. Mm-hmm. How long do you want to be around that person? How often do you want to be around that person? Or do you pretty much be like, you know, every time I'm around them, I just don't, it just doesn't feel good to be around someone who's constantly criticizing that I can't ever get it right. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the question I want to ask. What if that person is you? What if it's actually you who's the one who's constantly judging that you can't get it right? Mm. What is that creating in your world? What is the cost of internalizing that uh the the you know, somewhat that that critic that what is it? The critic. There we go. The critic. Mhm. Never get it right. Yep. You want to fire that yep. critic? The time? <laughs> and then would maybe the need to always prove that you're right simply evaporate? Yeah. How many people have internalized that critic and made it their own? And so it's not even the outer world anymore that's, you know, that they're fighting against, but it's themselves. Right. Yeah, because really then you get, I, it makes me get to the point where I consider, so how much energy am I using in in the pursuit of proof? Mm-hmm. Because all the energy that I'm using in the pursuit of proof is energy I am not creating my future based on what my desires are or what I want to do or my goals or whatever my dreams are. Mm-hmm. And that feels, you know, like, wow, that's really something to consider. Is there any energy going into the proof of it? It's, it's just amazing, you know, 
um, <laughs> it's a common theme. It's a common theme to, you know, here's, here's where I'm right, and look, I have proof about it. Um, I know somebody who regularly posts on Facebook, social media, about pictures of people parking poorly, bad, um, illegally <laughs> in handicapped spots, um, crooked in the line. And I giggle at the effort that it takes to stop the car, take a picture, write some, you know, insulting comment, and post it. Like, I'm just curious. <laughs> what is the payoff of gathering the proof? They've already experienced that somebody parked the way they don't approve of or whatever. But the, the effort it takes to stop, take the picture, post it, insult somebody, you know, embarrass them on social media, whatever it is, like, what, what's in that? Like, do you get to go, <laughs> like, the, are we the parking Nazi here? Like, what's going on? What, what is gained by this? So I really invite you to look at what's going on with the proof. Because we've talked about the internal stuff for so long, all week. Like, what's it costing you? But when it comes to the right and wrong, especially the right, there's an extra effort required to deliver the proof. And I just think it's worth noting. Are you aware of how much effort you put into being right? Are you aware of the time, attention for that proof? What's it costing you? And is the payoff worth it? Just a choice, but, you know, it might be a habit. You're like, oh, shit, I didn't even realize what an obsession this was. Awesome, great. Let's get in reality so that you can decide what needs to be changed and what doesn't. It's up to you. Yeah, I love this. And you know, the other the other piece, there's there's more. <laughs> um, have you beside decided that you're so right that you get to be the right police? <laughs> no, like you just said, like you get to go out and and point out where everybody's getting it wrong. I'm so right that it actually entitles entitles me to be the right police. And so everywhere else, everyone else is getting it wrong, I get to be the one that like, oh, by the way, you're fucking up over there, and you're not getting that right, and you're doing that, you know, you're doing this wrong. Like, is that is that fun for you to be the right police? Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people that do that. My family, when I was a little kid, I've shared this before on the show. We'd go visit my grandma, my grand, my grandparents, and we'd sit around the front room, and I'd, you know, with the green carpeting, and they would just talk about how everyone was fucking up their lives. For whatever reason, it, it's like a way of making yourself feel superior. And again, it's a reactive, it's a reactive way of functioning. If there's, mm-hmm. if I have some doubt, if I have some you know, oh, I'm not getting it right, I feel insecure, then I pump up the volume of my ego by making everyone else look inferior to me. And then I get to be like, oh, well, I'm superior because I'm I'm doing it better than they are. I'm getting it righter than they are. I get to be the right police and sit around and talk about how everyone else is getting it wrong. What is that? I'm just curious. What does that create for you in your life? Mm-hmm. Is that even creating your life at all. The people that I see most invested in their rightness are the people who I would say have the least um, 
energy, like, you know, aliveness. We talk about aliveness. Have the least energy available to them. Like, their aliveness is not accessible to them. And they have Mm -hmm. to use uh, alternative, you know, like drink pot loads of coffee. Or they've got to find some other way to um, be alive because, like you were just saying, all of their energy is invested in being right. There's mm-hmm. there's no like there's there's barely any creative energy to create anything else but just you know I've got to edify my rightness at every chance I get. Yeah. And a lot of times that includes being the right police, going around and monitoring where everyone else is getting it wrong, and see how right I am mm-hmm. compared to all those wrongies out there. Look at all the wrongies out there. Look how right I am compared to the wrongies. <laughs> It's a game of a, a oh, superior to, inferior. It's hilarious, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> makes me want to doodle a cartoon. The wrong. I know. That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> so yeah, you know, yeah, it's really like, interesting when you bring that up. I think about somebody that I've witnessed, you know, over the years and evolve, and how I quit engaging in conversation because I was so tired of. Like, for every conversation that happened with myself or others, there was a, um, well, you know you should have done that. You know this would go, this happened better if you did that. You know why that's happening, right? And it was like this constant, like, oh, for hell's sakes. Like, I'm screwing in a damn light bulb. I don't need your tutorial. You know? <laughs> like, okay, why am I having these conversations? And and I realized how frustrated I was, and I'd be like, oh, gosh, I can't. Nope, nope. And then I just finally went, oh, fuck, I'm the one engaged in the conversation. Just stop conversing. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I chose separation. I did. I chose to separate myself from the, the being a part of the conversations that always had the, you know, the rightness. And it's not relatability. It's like, it's not like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. I've dealt with that. It's, well, you know what you can do right. Oh, yeah. I know. I know what's right for your life. <laughs> it's, if, if you got that running, I'm here to tell you the way that you're seeing it is not the way everybody sees the world. There really are different points of view out there. And all that that's creating is a barrier around everybody so that you can know you're good, you've been validated because you're right, but really, according to them and their point of view, it is not anything like what you're seeing. So so what it is you think you're doing is different than what, I, you know, I always, and this is the way I say it because I'm having a hard time finding the words, but what you think you're creating by being right is not actually the outcome that you're headed towards. Correct. What you think you're creating by being right is not the outcome you are headed towards. That's the difference. It's, That's why yeah, it's, and it's worth breaking, having this breakup. <laughs> It it is, and and it really like when I look at it energetically, it's like a it's like a poison, it's like a toxin. Yeah. And I don't think people are aware of what that does to their to their aliveness. I I don't know what else to call it. Mm-hmm. 
it's yep. it's becomes this obsession that is um it's like a toxin and i you know like every other time on the show we're not saying that anyone who's functioning this way is wrong Mm-mm. it's just an invitation to say is this really creating anything for you at all other than a feeling of superiority mm-hmm. is it what's it costing you we're just we're just inviting you to get curious about this um yeah. and then you may or may not choose to break up with the need to be right. What could you discover about yourself? The funny thing is, like, if somebody, like, let's say somebody is trying to be a really good boss, you know, and for whatever reason they've got it, you know, that they've got it, some kind of fundamental belief that, you know, they're not up to the task. And so they're doing everything. They're like, okay, I got to be a good boss. I got to be a good boss. I got to be a good boss. And they've read all the books and they've taken the courses and leadership. And they're like, I got to do it. I got to do it right. And here's the weird thing that I see, no matter what it is you're trying to get good, whether you're trying to be a good friend or a good sister or uh, anything you're trying to make yourself be like, prove that like, I'm really good at this. I'm getting it right. Mm -hmm. What I see is all of that energy actually blocks the natural, genuine, sincere, intrinsic part of you that knows. <laughs> it's like you block everywhere. Like people who are trying to be, it's like, you know what? If you would just be you, you'd probably be an amazing boss because mm-hmm. you have this natural caring. You have this natural, you know, innate intuition about things. But you're trying so hard to get it right and be a good boss that it's actually blocking everything that's natural and everything that's genuine and everything that's authentic. And I think, you know, that whole thing about is it actually creating what you think it's creating? All of your need to be right. It's probably taking you about, it's like, this is where we delude ourselves that we'll get to the destination we desire on this path. And, And I'm like, no, I'm here to tell you, actually, it isn't likely to work. Whatever result you think you're trying to create is likely not going to – it's like, you know, driving driving east on uh, Highway 80 and thinking you're going to get to L.A. Good luck with that. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so what if there's this amazing you that you haven't given a chance to show up and shine because you're so busy trying to get it right and prove that you're right? What if letting go and breaking up with right and the need to be right actually allows this this you that you've never allowed to emerge to show up and see, hey, wow. And this is this is the poison, this is the toxin that I'm talking about. It's like killing. It's not allowing that that natural innate you that that has so much beauty to it. Uh, doesn't let it out, doesn't let it be present, doesn't let it ever see the light of day to be revealed, ever, 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 ever. Yeah, and and how much is this need to be right stopping you from trying something that you want to try, like a new hobby, Mm. you know, a new creation? How much is that desire to be, that obsession to be right, stopping you 
because you're not willing to go through the discomfort of being a beginner and learning and getting feedback, that kind of thing. Like, how does that stop you in that way? Because for uh, there's a lot of people, you know, I'm not even going to practice something because I suck. Well, what's the point of practice, by the way? It's to increase your skill in something, <laughs> you know? I don't like practicing because I'm not a professional. I'm not, you know, a master at it yet. Okay. Yeah. You're skipping over all of the judgments you have about being wrong. So you can never get to the desired outcome you're actually wanting in your heart. That is the whole reason you started something. And this comes up. Like if you want to know if you have a, you know, a bit of an attachment to being right, play the wrong game I talked about yesterday. When, you know, how willing are you to be wrong? And just even if you, you know, stand in front of the, you know, shelves at the grocery store and say, well, um, I know that what we always get is, you know, brand whatever craft. And then say, but I could be wrong about that. While you're still picking out craft and putting it in your shopping basket or buggy, how does that feel? to tell yourself you could be wrong as you choose something consistent. Because for a lot of people, what that does is it brings up the anxiety that's hiding out, all the judgments that are sneaking around about admitting that you're wrong. And you'll find out pretty quickly how obsessed you are with being right if you're willing to play the wrong game, which for those of you who didn't listen to yesterday's show, that's just simply setting a time period of time. And even if it is untrue, Acknowledge yourself as wrong about everything you possibly can in a playful way, even when you know you're right. Like, are you willing to say I'm wrong, even when you know you're right? Or do you have to justify and correct that you're not really wrong, you're just playing the game? Like, you'll see how tightly wound this obsession is. Mm. Yeah. I love that when you introduced that yesterday, playing the wrong game. I think that's a wonderful way to start uh, breaking this habit. And Mm -hmm. what I didn't, what came to me later after the show had already finished, and I'm glad that you brought this up because now I remember it again. Where have you conflated? Where have you created an association? Where in your head does right actually mean, (laughs) oh, yeah. Yeah. I know people who, have, when they say right, you know, that when they have the need to be right, what that actually means is the need to be perfect. This right. has to be perfect yeah. because right mm-hmm. means perfect. And if I'm not perfect, I'm not right. So ask yourself that question. Have you conflated right with perfect? Have you created all these associations around perfection is right? That's a biggie that you might be uh, hiding from yourself. Just might be hiding yourself from that one from yourself. Because perfect is a total yeah. illusion. There is absolutely no such thing. Mm-hmm. Nope. You can't get it. I'm going to let you off the hook right now. You can't get it right enough to ever be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I was like, I said that. I was like, wait, that actually is going to freak people out. 
I think of that as letting people <laughs> off the hook, but I see actually how they're going to freak me. Be like, oh, my God, I'll never be good enough to be perfect. <laughs> it's not what it's about. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is that. Okay, breathe. Be in your body. Yes, breathe. <laughs> if you just discovered that, you know, you have all kinds of attachments with perfection, that might have just flipped you out a bit. You know, take a deep breath. <laughs> Feel your body, all your limbs. <laughs> it's okay to become aware with, of this, you know, to get real with yourself, get truthful with yourself about how it is you're functioning in the world. Because if that is how you're functioning, then that is the truth. And you can choose what the first steps are. At least you're taking the steps from where you are instead of some fantasy of where you pretend to be. Because those first steps over there won't really move you from this place. And so it's yeah. really good to get clear uh, about this is at, the truth of where I'm at. Yeah. The good, bad, the ugly. And that does require vulnerability, which takes us back to really where we started. The show is, yeah. are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing yeah. to be vulnerable enough to be you? To drop all that's attached to that. Because that's really what it requires. It's one of the things it requires is vulnerability. Have that intimacy with you to be you. Because as we go into next week's shows where we are going to be talking about, you know, breaking up with a definition, what defines you, breaking up with comparison, you comparing yourself to yourself, breaking up with conclusions and expectations of you, and really Breaking the habit of being you mm-hmm. is going to require some vulnerability, some truth, mm-hmm. lots of intimacy, and all that goes into it. So, how kind can you be this weekend with yourself? Yeah. <laughs> As you consider, are you willing? And you know, if it feels scary, you might want to grab a buddy, say, okay, here's the deal. Listen to these crazy girls on Seducing Aliveness, and they have fucked me up. And so I, I want a buddy to go down this rabbit hole with. Will you play? And see if somebody will come along on the journey and bring them into the conversation, share the link to the show with them, and let them come on as you go into the vulnerability of next week. And really, let's just see who you can be if you drop all these things and strings that make you the puppet of who you yeah. thought you had to be. Ooh, that's going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's so fun. And here we are at show 90. So we've got 10 more shows to our 100th show. I'm very excited about that. Thank you for being a part of getting us here. You know, we started this in April, and here we are in August. And it's pretty spectacular, I will say. I think it's kind of interesting. So, Thank you for joining us, and as us, I mean Jen Halterman, myself, and Tamara Yonker, my amazing co-host, and thanks for being here with Seducing Aliveness. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks, Tamara. Have a great weekend, everybody. Yep. See you Monday. Bye-bye.